brand ambassadors. They used to be a company's biggest fan, top customer, someone who used the products, loved them, and wasn't afraid to shout it from the rooftops. Companies rewarded these people by giving them free stuff, and it worked. It worked so well that those same companies started paying other people to act as brand ambassadors, giving out samples on the streets, campuses, and late night in front of bars. This is why, for most of the 2010s, the number of newly hired brand ambassadors grew over 1,000%. Fast forward a couple years, sprinkle in some social media, and now everyone's online feeds are covered with hashtag ad posts repping one product after another from quote-unquote brand ambassadors. And then, by 2017, the number of new hires started to drop. So what happened? Did we reach a tipping point from authentic brand love to transactional brand gig? Did the job change or did the tactic fail? To better understand what happened to brand ambassadors, we found someone who's been in the game for over a decade. Her name is Crystal. Crystal Malukas is the CEO of Mustard Lane, a brand ambassador staffing agency that hires professional actors to do the job. So when we asked her about recent changes within the industry, she had a lot to say, and most of it was not what we were expecting. Could we begin with your name and your title? Uh, yes, I am Crystal Malukas and CEO of Mustard Lane. Amazing. You're doing great so far. <laughs> um, Nailing it. Yes. Um, okay, so to start, could you tell us the story of how you founded Mustard Lane? So Mustard Lane is an event staffing and promotional marketing company. My background is in dance and theater. I originally grew up in Colorado and studied dance theater at University of Northern Colorado and um, decided I wanted to move to New York um, one month after graduating. <laughs> and uh, I moved to New York. I was lucky enough to have some friends that went to Marymount Manhattan. And so I automatically kind of had a friends group and was hustling, working a few different jobs at a ballet school. I was babysitting. I was walking dogs. Um, and then I got into doing a few catering jobs and meeting other people like me that worked random jobs. And I loved it. I loved just having somewhere different to go every day. I loved the different events going on and realized that I was really good at finding these jobs. And at that time, I applied for a flyering job for a popular New York City chain cafe called Cafe Metro. They were owned by a bunch of Greeks and paid cash, gave us food afterwards, and they started opening more and more locations. So they asked me if I had friends that would be willing to work. So then I um, started pretty much an under the table cash business with this cafe chain and a bunch of my friends doing flyering for Cafe Metro and was approached by a representative of Honest Tea. And he, he loved me and he was like, uh, who do you work for? And, and I was like, well, actually, this is my own company. It's called Mustard Lane. And he was like, could you do 50 demos this summer in New York City? And I said, absolutely. <laughs> and I went online. I went on LegalZoom, created Mustard Lane LLC, and got a bank account. And that was my first big client. And 
Um, what was really cool is that client, we did honest tea samplings at Cafe Mechos and other cafes, but also in Dwayne Reed's. And the Dwayne Reed marketing company was like, wait, what company is this? We, we love them. And so then Dwayne Reed became a client of ours and we started working with all the brands that were doing demos in Dwayne Reed's. Wow, that is an incredible story. When he asked you, can you do 50 demos this summer? Were you thinking maybe, but I'm going to say yes? Or were you sure in the moment that you definitely could, could make it work? Um, I, I was sure. I'm like a jump head first kind of girl. And I think that's important for most entrepreneurs in order to make it is, you know, you got to make those decisions, whether you can do it or not, you, you, you can do it and you will do it. Um, so and we, I figured out logistics later and um, slowly kind of figured out how I wasn't charging enough and I needed higher profit margins to survive. But those are things I kind of learned along the way. Um, but no, I wasn't afraid. I was ready. What is one thing you wish you knew when you first started the company? I wish I was more confident at the beginning. Like I think I'm, I did jump head first and, you know, I, I wish I was more confident in all the decisions I made. I don't think I would change the way I did anything because I am the type of person where I learn as I go. You know, if I trip, I will learn from that mistake and I will be better because of it. But I wish from the very beginning, I was a little more confident. How could you have been more confident? You, <laughs> you sounded like you were so confident. Yeah, I mean, you just just a little more confident with like being a leader and, uh, you know, just making big decisions. Like I think, I think sometimes I would procrastinate on things that I shouldn't. And now years later, I'm just like, you know, own it, do it. You know, sometimes decisions are tough. You let the emotional side out of it and just do what you got to do. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. I'll take some pointers. <laughs> um, how did you make the connection between actors and brand ambassadors? It sounded like it happened very organically, but that's not something that every BA staffing agency does. Yeah, absolutely. So that that's definitely like our bread and butter. And, and the reason why I started the company is I have a dance background and I worked random jobs because I wanted to perform. Um, and I learned early on that I liked working and running the business more than performing. So it was more of a hobby or a passion. Um, but the, my my community and my friends, they all were performers and have been on Broadway and cruise ships. And I, you know, their contracts changed all the time and they were always working these random jobs. So I knew that I could find great workers that were reliable and that looked good and, you know, would make the brands happy. And, um, and what's different about the setup at Mustard Lane is, you know, all actors and dancers and models, they work for a lot of different agencies, but we cater towards you know, you know, we're not going to be their first choice if they have a catering job or an audition. So we understand, you know, the night before, if they're like, oh my gosh, my agent called and I have to go to this thing at 9 a.m., you know, we're, we're going to find someone to cover and we understand that. Um, and, you know, that's something that our community, they support each other and they're willing to pick up shifts last minute to cover for someone that, you know, has something last minute having to do with the arts. That's great. Yeah. That's a really unique, unique sort of setup. What did other, brand ambassador staffing agencies look like when you started? And were they using actors? Was that like a standard in the industry already? I don't think it was a standard, but it was happening and like people weren't aware of it. Now the secret is out and a lot of actors and dancers and performers are working all these random jobs and other companies know about it, brands know about it. 
our clients are now asking for actor BAs because they need to act a certain way. They need to wear a costume. They need to memorize certain talking points. So now it's just a whole other tier of brand ambassador um, that we offer. And it's obviously a little more. And what's interesting is the same BA could could fill a bunch of the different roles. They could be the high-end promo model. They could be the actor BA or they could be the regular BA. It's just a matter of what they're asked to do on the job or asked to wear. How is Mustard Lane different than other BA staffing agencies? We have a really um, strategic vetting process when we do interviewing and almost like a personality test. So we place BAs where they're going to do well. You know, not every BA is going to be great at handing out flyers. Some, some people just really hate it and aren't good at it. And some people thrive at standing in front of a door and not letting certain people in and, you know, saying you're not on the list. <laughs> so we, we know we're strategic on where we place people. Um, and we're, we're strategic on how we book people. And also when we send out an email to, uh, to book people, it's not a mass email to 30 people in the first five to respond, get the job. We actually ask five people and we're waiting for their response before we book other people. So I think when people know that they get an email from us asking if they're available, they, they feel special. They know we want them to work. And we just ask that they reply yes or no. And then, you know, no questions asked. We just, you know, we'll ask the next person in line. That's great. Yeah. It sounds like it's very, it's very careful and thoughtful. What sort of thing is in the vetting process and the application? Um, we're to the point where a lot of our hiring is just done by referrals, which is really interesting. I, I had a moment where we needed a bunch of people in New York. So we opened up our casting and, you know, maybe interviewed 20 people. And um, we had this kid who was so excited just to have an interview with us. He'd been trying to work with us for a while. And he he literally was like, you guys are like the Broadway for brand ambassadors. And, and that moment was just so cool because we have worked so hard to create this reputation that's not even good, just good for the clients, but good for the brand ambassadors as well. So that was a, that was a really cool moment. And I think we just take time to get to know the brand ambassadors. Each brand ambassador does have a profile. We track um, the feedback we get from them on all the events they work. We have all the communication with them in the system. So we just kind of keep track of, of them and we have catch-ups with them. A lot of them will be in our system for five years and maybe only work a handful of times. So we'll catch up with them every every year, every couple of years, just to see what's different with their work resume. You know, maybe they're a little older, maybe they can do maybe their team manager material. So we try to just keep tabs on everyone that's in our system that works for us. Do you think the level of care and thought you put into uh, each person that you hire allows them to be even more sincere when doing the actual job? A hundred percent. I think I think people realize the, just the different way we communicate, and and I do think that our brand ambassadors think we care, and I. And I know with the clients, you know, we ask a lot of questions to make sure that they're taken care of during the job questions that, you know, that not everybody thinks of so that when our brand ambassadors arrive on site, they're set up for success. There's no question. Everyone knows what they're supposed to be doing. And that's something we make sure like every event is taken care of. This is sort of a, a little bit of an aside, but how important is social media following to you when you hire people? 
for me personally and the people we hire, like I don't really care, but for the clients, that is something new that they're asking for is um, to take a peek at their Instagram. Um, not necessarily to look at the following, but maybe to look at their vibe. If it's a long-term pop-up that needs to be, you know, have a certain vibe. Are there particular types of clients or is there a particular industry that you find it's, it's more frequent for them to be interested in the social media? I think like the, the cooler brands, like the more popular brands for sure. And if it's a long-term activation, um, again, with just like a, a, a very certain vibe, they've asked for it. Can you think of an example of like what the vibe is? I'm curious. A lot of times we just have to find different pictures to represent. So like most brand ambassador pictures are their headshots and they're smiling. And, um, you know, there's certain ones like we did the Missy Elliott Museum and Soho uh, was a couple years ago. It was very cool. It was a pop up. And um, and instead of showing the headshots, like we had to find like edgy, cool photos and put them in the profiles so that the so that they could see that they would represent the brand um, and the vibe. Wow. That's so much fun. <laughs> that sounds like such a fun project to put that together. Yeah. So sort of on a similar note. When you hear the words brand ambassadors and influencers, what is the difference that comes to mind for you? The influencers are usually someone with a huge following and like a a personal brand um, that the brand wants to participate in and get more following from. And it's usually like a short term engagement with them. Brand ambassadors, they don't have the following. They don't have to have the the following at all. And they're just meant to like embody the brand, you know, whether that be in an Instagram post or in at an event. Um, It's just more about the brand and not about the following. Right. That makes sense. Do you think that one tends to be more sincere than the other? I mean, yes. (laughs) Yes. I mean, I just, I feel like the influencers you know, like they, they are doing their job and they're really good at it um, when they do get their brands. But I feel like the the non-influencer brand ambassadors, um, you know, usually I feel like they would take on, they would partner with the brand because they care about it or because they like it. And I feel like with the influencers, it's it's just because it's, it's a job. That makes sense. All right, wait, pause. Honestly, it kind of surprises me that social media following isn't that important. It surprises me too, because when I think of brand ambassadors, I associate it with people who are actually acting like influencers in the way that Crystal just described it, but they're calling themselves brand ambassadors. I think that's so funny because I think for Crystal, influencers are kind of co-opting the term brand ambassadors, but Being a brand ambassador doesn't really require you to be an influencer. And your social media following doesn't even really matter that much to being a brand ambassador. Right. So I think probably for Crystal, at least from my perspective, people who are influencers calling themselves brand ambassadors may actually hurt the term brand ambassadors overall. Yeah, because it seems like the brand ambassadors are doing something a little bit more unique than just posting a picture of themselves, wearing a piece of clothing or, you know, using a particular product. Right. The type that Crystal is talking about is specifically 
people who are putting on these incredibly artistic and immersive experiences that companies want to give to their customers. Like what? We're getting to that part, Sam. Um, Okay, well, on the subject of uh, different campaigns, I want to do a little round of rapid fire questions. So I'll say the name of a campaign that you've worked on, and then you can tell me in a couple of sentences what that campaign was like. Okay. All right. Adidas. I mean, we've done a couple of things with Adidas. I'm picturing the one that we did in California. They really wanted more models to work alongside a truck. And I'm picturing like all the pictures. It was more of like getting the photos um, of the models with the Adidas gear. Netflix. We do a lot of the Netflix premieres, um, which is super fun. I can't even remember the last one, but uh, we handled the check-in and... uh, the, the coat check at, at a lot of the premieres for Netflix. Very cool. Um, we've done a lot of really elaborate ones, which are awesome. What are the VAs doing at a Netflix premiere? So they're getting more elaborate with them. We did one for Stranger Things, I think two years in a row. And it was so fun. They dressed the VAs in very 80s Stranger Things um, vibe and I like they had, I wish I was there, but in the pictures, like the, they had pretty much a whole set of stranger things and an experience. So RBAs are not only dressed the part, but they're probably checking you in to the event or giving you popcorn or something of the sort. So they're not only like to look at their ambience, but also like efficient working the event. <laughs> cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, Facebook. Facebook, we did um, we did a ton of those little Facebook events um, all all over the country actually, and they were just kind of one off events for Facebook, and we just handled the check in and um, photo any photo opportunities. Audible, Audible, we did some cool things for Audible at New York Comic Con comes to mind. Um, it was, I believe a Harry Potter thing and it was insane. It was very cool. And this was another one of those events that they did hire actor BAs for. I can see actually, the more we talk about it, I can see how much sense it makes to bridge the actors with brand ambassadors because these events and campaigns are performative and they are artistic. Totally. Switching gears a little bit. One thing we found with Zoom Info data that was kind of interesting was between 2010 and 2017, the hiring of brand ambassadors was very much on the rise. So cumulatively in those seven years, it rose by 1,294%. And then all of a sudden in 2017, it started dropping and it went down by 13% in that year. And then 48% in 2018. And I'm wondering why you might think that is. Hmm. The numbers definitely make sense with kind of the the flow of of our company, a a thousand percent. I'm not really sure. I feel like Gorilla, the flyering thing, like I think there's so much virtual now and online ordering. So like the handing out of things isn't as 
necessary. Um, sampling products, like actually like having someone hand you a sample, there's definitely a lot less of that now and especially now because of COVID. But within the last couple of years, I feel like techniques have changed a little bit as far as like the in-person sampling and flyers. And so that could be a reason. Another thing is it sounds like there are sort of different pockets of the brand ambassador industry. So there's like the live events and staffing with that. And then I'm just thinking of with my own experience, seeing this data was really surprising to me because as a young person, I go on my social media and all I see is brand ambassadors. And you also see companies advertising, oh, be a brand ambassador for a clothing brand. And then you realize you're sort of getting swindled into just buying from them. And they sort of know that you're not going to sell anything uh, or brands will reach out through direct messages and say, oh, work with us. And you don't have that many followers. So people know that you're not going to sell. They're just trying to get you to buy. What is your, what is your opinion on that? It's an interesting technique for sure. And it is obviously different than the influencers that have like those following. Um, but the concept behind it, like, I mean, you know, maybe you feel special because they want you to be the brand ambassador. <laughs> um, and then you buy their clothes maybe. Um, but it is it is definitely more of a trend nowadays. And do you think that that approach that some companies are taking is possibly harming other BA staffing agencies that are not doing that? I don't think so. Like as far as like what they're reaching out to just any like a normal person that, you know, doesn't have any BA experience at all. And and really like the brand ambassador agencies like mine, like they're our our brand ambassadors are used to to being public facing and representing brands um in photos and in in person. So like I I don't know, I don't feel any um connection with that that industry at all. How has the pandemic impacted Mustard Lane? It's impacted us a whole lot. Uh, we went from doing up to 20 events in a day to nothing in a matter of, you know, everything just being canceled in March. Um, so we definitely had to do some business development and, and a lot of like housekeeping with like internal stuff. I'm just trying to take advantage of these slower times. And I do think, I think a lot of people in the event industry agree with me that once we're able to do events, it's going to be crazy. Everyone's going to be wanting to do so many different events. So we're just, you know, waiting for that. But what's been really cool is we have worked with some brands um, since July um, that have done some outdoor, very safe activations. Um, Heineken's one of them. And uh, we did a lot of, we've done a lot of drive-in theaters with them, which has been very cool. We've got a few here and there going on right now, which is just exciting. Our brand ambassadors are excited to get back to work. Obviously, there's a lot of safety precautions and everything's smaller and a lot of them are outdoors. We're, we're getting there. We're getting there and we're getting by. <laughs> are you doing anything in particular to try and like keep the energy high and keep the motivation up? Yeah, we, we do some game nights for our team, which has been really fun. That's something we offer uh, to corporate 
corporate companies to virtual game nights that have actually been pretty successful. Um, so we'll do virtual game nights with our team. And the last one, I think we maybe had 75 people from all over the country. We had six different games going at once. And and really just everyone loves spending time together and getting to know the other um, laners is which we, what we call our team from other markets, which was really cool. And then another thing that we've been focusing on is uh, we do have a nonprofit that the internal members of Mustard Lane um, are a part of. It's called Off the Lane and the nonprofit is based to help the artistic community. And so during this time, we've actually really been able to focus on the nonprofit and it's grown so much. We have a mentorship program that we launched in March of 2020, which was so interesting because it was meant to be virtual to begin with. And because of that, it's grown like 500% since we launched in March. So every session, we're getting more and more mentees and pairing them up with mentors that are professional working actors. So it's been really cool to focus on just some other things during during this time. It sounds like because you started the company being a performer yourself, and then you employed all of your performer friends, Mustard Lane is really like a hub of creative people. A hundred percent. Yeah. And it seems like with the way you try and match them with particular jobs, or you're asking them to do so many different things, you're really catering to people's specific passions and skills. I mean, that's exactly what we're trying to aim to do. And what's really cool to see along the way is the community that Mustard Lane is and that it became organically. Um, just watching that like come to life, like, you know, that was just a happy accident and creating Mustard Lane. And it's just been really cool to see like people get married that met at Mustard Lane and find roommates and other gigs and just supporting each other in their artistic um, things that they do. And it's just, it's been really cool to sit back and watch that all happen. Is the community between the employees the thing that you're most proud of? You know, I, I guess 100%. Absolutely. I think like the work culture is awesome. And I am proud that people are proud to work for us. Oh, that's you, you nailed it. Yes. <laughs> and how big is the list of people? Uh, we have a database of about 5,000 people across the nation, you know, that we could have work at any time. What do you think corporate America should know about artists and creatives? I mean, I think they're an asset and in any position you would ever put them in. And, you know, I think that flexibility, you just have to be flexible to work with them, but they are an asset in, in any position. And now more than ever, like being an artist is, is it's just an extremely rough time. And I know the job market's rough out there too. So I just continue supporting those artists because they, they need to be creative so they can create amazing work down the road. Are there any misconceptions you think corporate America has about artists and creatives? I think I I thrive with working with artists because I understand how their mind works, um, which is, I mean, maybe just the creative mind works, which isn't so cut and dry. And maybe corporate America doesn't, you know, think about how the creative mind works. <laughs> and they're missing out. Yeah, they are missing out. Absolutely. <laughs> Where do you see the industry heading? It, it's going to be interesting. I, I don't think the virtual is, is going to go away. Um, so it's going to be interesting how it's going to work together. I do think that live events are important and 
I think that everyone's missing that that experience, but there are going to be virtual elements in there as well. So I know that that's going to happen. I'm not sure how. Um, that's that's what the creatives will figure out, but it's it's definitely going to be working together. Are there some industries that you think are more ready for that than others? I mean, yes, but because of the pandemic and like the the Zoom world, like I feel like people are less afraid now. Um, you know, like because everyone's used Zoom during the, these times, so the the technical element is is less scary. I feel like if virtual was the new trend before COVID and COVID never happened, I think people would be really freaked out to try it. But now, like, you know, they're kind of getting used to it and, you know, we kind of figure it out. Okay. So last question, kind of wrapping up here. You began as a dancer. You moved to New York City with that plan in mind. And then you got the opportunity to open your own company and you jumped into it headfirst. What did you take away from the experience of having one life path in mind and then choosing another? For me, it it wasn't hard. Uh, and, and I think for a lot of people, it probably is a hard decision. I, I know the moment that I did not want to be a dancer is I came from an audition and I was feeling so good. I made some friends and learned a cool dance. And I was talking to my roommates who are, who at the time, you know, were trying to make it as dancers. And now one of them is Katy Perry's main dancer has been forever. Um, the other one was in Cirque du Soleil for a while. And they would leave auditions and think that they got the job. They they were that confident about it. And, and when they didn't get the job, they would, you know, be devastated and crying. And it was the end of the world for, you know, a small job. And, and for me, it was just kind of like, oh, that was fun. Um, so I kind of realized that if I was going to make it in that world, which is very cutthroat and competitive, um, I needed to look at every audition that way. And I did not have that in me. So I wanted to stay in New York. I love New York and started a company. (laughs) She says casually. (laughs) Do you ever look at those friends and wonder how your life path would have unfurled if you had gone that direction? You know, I I don't. I don't look what if I'm I know I'm on the right path. I don't question it. Um, and that's because I love what I do. I'm I'm so extremely lucky. The thing that the thing that is crazy or the thing that's thinking about the episode for me is that you and me have completely different views of what a brand ambassador is. And from my perspective, like a brand ambassador is the person who is like showing up on college campuses and like giving out like Red Bull or Snapple or like skin cream or something like that. Um, And that's basically what I thought brand ambassadors were. And then your view of brand ambassador is like totally online. Like somebody who is promoting something through social and who gets like a bunch of discount codes or or something along those lines. So it's like for me, I just I feel like it's interesting on this episode because I there's definitely like a generational difference of how we view the job of brand ambassador. Right. And then there's probably different. We have different feelings on the job because of that. 
Yeah. Like I have more of like a negative con I have a preconceived negative connotation with it because and I think most people my age do because of the online like insincere like let me sell you my skincare routine. <laughs> for it's what's funny for me hearing you talk about it is like you just see somebody online being like, this is a product, this is what I do, blah, 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 this is something I like. But you don't get that. You don't like actually get that product. Like when I was living in Austin, like people stood out on the streets and gave out Snapple. And like, I got to drink Snapple. You know what I mean? Like, right. like I actually got something out of them promoting it. Like I got a free Snapple or like I got free Red Bull or like I got free like, you know, skin things or whatever like that. Um, so I always I think that's funny because it's like you just see it and you don't get anything. I think before we did the interview, I had heard her refer to her uh, the job that she was getting as survival jobs. Um, for creatives and I didn't even really understand what that meant but then to hear her in the interview say like if somebody gets a different if somebody if somebody gets a gig we want them to take that over the job that they signed up for at my company I mean that's incredible that's incredible and so it just I guess it just really struck me that it's all coming from a super, super genuine place, which is the opposite of what I had originally thought. Thanks for listening to this episode of Talk Data to Me. To keep up with us, make sure to subscribe on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts. For your one random act of kindness today, feel free to leave us a review. We'd be super grateful and it really helps us out. This episode was produced by me, Stephanie Tonneson, with help from Sam Balter and Casted Productions. Huge thank you to Crystal, of course, because without you, this episode would not have been possible. Thanks again, and see you next time on Talk Data to Me.